big green guy is back. They call me Swamp Thing. He's come back to settle the score. He's got a grudge, cause they turned him to slut. The Return of Swamp Thing. Starring Louis Jordan, Heather Locklear, and Swamp Thing. The Return of Swamp Thing. He's turning over a new leaf for love. Chama people, and welcome to our 125th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and with me today are two great guest co-hosts. On one hand, we have returning Mr. Devin Smith. Hey, Devin, how are you today? I'm awesome, man. Well, it's definitely great to have you on for this movie, and for sure, Devin. So, uh, so definitely, definitely, thank you so much for for joining us today and returning to the podcast after way too long. The one and only Kelly Pippin. Hey, Kelly, how are you today? Uh, I'm good, Nick. Good, good. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, thanks, Kelly. You know, thank you so much for joining us today on what might be a rather, let's say, um, particular kind of movie compared to the ones that you're used to discussing. <laughs> oh, hey, I, I like the old B superhero movies, you know, gave you something to do when you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true, because today we are discussing The Return of Swamp Thing from 1989, directed by Jim Wynorski, who is mainly known for B movies and director video films such as The Unforgettable Cheerleader Massacre, Lost, Lost Connection, Dino Croc vs. Super Gator, and many more akin to these. This film was written by Neil Cuthbert and Grant Morris, while the music was by Chuck Chirino. This movie, to put in today's money, gentlemen, cost $6 million to make and made 616000 at the box office. So saying it flopped wow. is once again a euphemism. So starting actually here with you, Kelly, what are your general impressions of the return of Swamp Thing? And I guess at this point, since this is your first Swamp Thing film you get to discuss with us, where's your Swamp Thing fandom at? I, I actually like Swamp Thing. I have since I was a kid. He was like one of the characters in DC that I kind of gravitated towards. Um, you know, other than typically, you know, like your Batman, you got to remember Batman came out in 89 as well. So did this movie, there's no comparison between the two. So, you know, yeah. but <laughs> I did see this when I was a kid. Um, I talked my mom into, you know, letting me go to the theater to see it. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a classic B movie. It's not like you were, you, I don't think you should go into it with expectations of seeing something fantastic, but <laughs> If you go into it, just want to see Swamp Thing, I think you're fine. And it's, you know, it is what it is. I mean, when the two best actors are like 12 and 10, you know, it's one of those things. So <laughs> good point. And, and did you actually then also watch the TV show, which came shortly after this film? Yes, I did. Yeah, because I know that Dick Duroc, of course, then went on to star in in that uh, in that TV show. And uh, yep. and Devin, when it comes to you, what are your general thoughts on this on this sequel to the first Swamp Thing film? Well, actually, from what Kelly just said, um, his background with Swamp Thing is exactly my situation because, again, Swamp Thing was a superhero to me that caught my eye because he wasn't like anybody else and as far as the sequel i mean i say if you're a fan of swamp thing you'll probably like the movies but again there's other people who you know prefer the comic books and the tv series over the movies so i think it's just whether you're a fan or not it, um but I just thought it was an interesting, you know, character. So, mm. well, I have to say, yes, I'm a huge fan of the Swamp Thing comics, and uh, I had never seen this one, and I'd actually um, honestly been avoiding it, and but I knew we had to discuss it eventually on this podcast. Like, yeah, the time has come to do this one, and uh, to be honest, I did not mind the first one as much. I think this the first one's actually better than this one because you actually had people who knew how to act. As Kelly was pointing out, the fact that here our best actors are literally the kids in this film. Yeah. But uh, other than that, I mean, obviously, I'd been a big fan of those 
old school superhero TV shows like, for example, The Incredible Hulk, the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk back in the day, you know, and even the the Thor moments as campy as they are, or even, you know, other thing, things like that. But this was absolutely terrible. I was actually, I'm, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm becoming more and more cynical watching these films, bearing in mind the fact that obviously I, I also have that podcast where we do best picture uh, review, films and best picture films. And maybe I'm looking at through, through, through too much of a critical eye. But for folks who say that to me, I say if these films want to be considered in the same class as films, you kind of have to treat them the same way. So, yeah. you know, if superhero movies want their recognition in the pantheon of, of great movies in general, that's how, kind of how, how I approached it. And yes, this film was god awful. I thought, I thought um, Spawn was the bottom of the barrel. This might be the bottom of the barrel, folks. So <laughs> <laughs> let's deeper dive into our movie by looking at our titular character. We have Dick Duroc reprising his role from the first Swamp Thing film and who would then star in the, in the TV show as our green hero. So uh, Devin, starting with you, what did you make of Swamp Thing in this? I mean, I I kind of felt like it had that whole, you know, cheesy horror, you know, vibe to it. Um, and again, I, to me, it's, it's kind of like watching like um, a movie like Critters or um, Night of the like Night of the Living Dead, like the like the remastered colored version, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like it really depends on your taste as a movie fan. And like I said, you know, for me, like I grew up kind of watching this film and I guess now that I've seen it, probably, I don't know, five times now, <laughs> um, I feel like I can fully evaluate it and, and okay, yes, I will kind of agree with that statement that you just kind of made. Um, I think that there are good points in the film and there's just terrible points. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it. I mean, did you, but did you kind of buy, should we say, literally Alec Holland, who obviously we don't see here, but rather we see Swamp Thing the whole way through and, you know, the character he portrays and even possibly the potential love that then happens between him and Abigail. Right. I well yeah I'll I'll absolutely agree with that because I kind of don't really vibe with that I don't really I I think that they didn't put any effort at all into that and I think that it was just something that's kind of thrown together mm-hmm. and um, fu- yeah. yeah go ahead and I I I I completely see your point yeah. Yeah, because funny story is obviously when we do eventually get the so-called sex scene between Abigail and <laughs> and Alec, apart from the yeah. fact it's a completely different actor who wasn't even in the first film. And funny story, apparently he got rather frisky with Ab- with uh, Heather Locklear to the point that he was kicked off set. He basically did wow. that scene and apparently Heather was not happy with the way he was kind of getting so into the role. It's like... You know, maybe he's getting a little bit too excessive, maybe thinking it was a soft porn movie or a porn movie. It's like, I can, you know, kind of grope her and do all this kind of fun stuff because it's, you know, but apparently Heather was not very comfortable with that and he was kicked off the set and that was the end of him. That's probably why he doesn't even get sort of a mention in the credits. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. I so, didn't even know any of that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's apparently what went on on set. So, uh, there you have it. But, uh, Going to you, Kelly, what did you make of uh, our Swamp Thing, a.k.a. Alec Holland? So, I think most of their budget went into making his outfit. Because mm-hmm. the, the outfit wasn't actually all that bad, to be, to be completely honest with you. For 1989, for the technology that they had at the time, I know it's a B-movie. I had to give a little kudos to the, guy that actually, the guys that actually put his com- entire costume together. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean... He plays it more like a. It, they play it more like a. It's 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 pushed towards kids. Let's be honest. And he played it more like a, a, um, campy kind of. You know the you. It 
it just reminds me of the soda commercials where the guy smiles and sticks his thumb up all the time. I, I just, um, yeah, you know, it, it, he could have been a really good Swamp Thing. I think he had the voice and stuff for it, but he just, pl- I think it was played really way too. Um, I think they knew what their target audience was, and I think they still missed that target. Um, but, but, um, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I, you know, I watch it and I'm going, okay, this is 1989. I get the special effects hurdle. I understand it. And that's why a lot of, that's why Marvel really didn't try to bring a lot of their superheroes to the screen so much because the technology wasn't there to make it a believable type situation. But uh, kudos to the guy in the suit. He spent a lot of time in it, apparently. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, to me, it looked like Swamp Thing, you know, as far as the special effects, fight scenes, things like that, really overdone, really, you know, they, re- whoever choreographed, whoever did the choreography for the fight scenes, they way overdone some of this stuff, but it's, I mean, to me, it's still the, the 80s camp. It's kind of cool. Reminds me a lot of, you know, the 60s series Batman that was, really campy and aimed at kids and that kind of thing, you know, minus the pseudo sex scene or whatever you want to call it. Um, that was really weird, but, (laughs) but, uh, uh, but I mean, the guy does a good job of, of the presence is there at least. I mean, when you look at it, you see swamp thing. It's not like it's this terrible, terrible movie. Like if you've ever caught glimpses of like the old, um, the attempted Fantastic Four movie back in the eighties. It's not like that. It's, it's better than that, but yeah. Yeah. And Marvel's buried that like way deep. So, but DC, they did a lot of crazy stuff back in the eighties to get on the, get on the map. And, um, Swamp Thing was one of them. And I thought this one was, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think that Fantastic Four movie is buried right where the ET video game is buried. Probably the Atari ET video right. game is. I think it's right there, buried on the concrete. But uh, yeah, I I have to admit, Dick Durock is charming as the Swamp Thing because obviously you know he has a, like you said that very sort of deep voice, that very that warm persona, and you know he's always kind of much more human, obviously in this one compared to the first film. And there is an improvement from the first film when it comes to. Fight scenes, granted, these are still not great fight scenes, is because in the first one, I'd actually made a point of mentioning that it was very much like the Incredible Hulk TV show where all the only move Swamp Thing had was one pick the guy up and toss him away. That was pretty much <laughs> yep. what he would do right. throughout the whole movie. <laughs> I was right. like, dude, seriously, that's all you're going to do? But here, he did do a bit of picking up and tossing over, but at the same time, he did try to land a punch here and there, which was I was happy to see. Not to mention the fact that now he, well, I guess, of course, he knows how to drive because he was once, once a human, so I'll give him that. But the fact that he is in, like, vehicles which explode and has no problems whatsoever, and, like, plants and fire usually don't mix very well, but okay. Um, but other than that, I I did find him very charming, and I did find him, you know, he, like you said, uh, Kelly, to your point, he is very much a kid-friendly kind of hero in this version compared to what Alan Moore did with this character in the comics, which was much more of a dark mysterious almost sinister character who i almost would equate to to use the lord of the rings reference like at the ends in the sense that he's on nobody's side because nobody's on his side so he will go ahead yeah in the comics i mean he's part of the council of the the trees all, all those kinds of things and there's a very he's he's played almost a villain at some points if he feels like someone's hurting the planet so to speak and and so in the comics, he's you're right. He's this very dark and brooding and very mysterious character. He can see ghosts. He's he's an elemental. Um, you know, there's different things about him in the in the comics that just don't come to screen in this whatsoever. And mm-hmm. um, it just you were looking probably more for that dark, brooding, quiet, um, very um, lightly verbalized character, and 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 we got the Captain America version, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He, he almost reminded me of the way John Wesley ship played the flash in the nineties TV show, where it's kind of like, right. you know, that that's big, that kind of lantern jaw, the big smile. It's like, you know, I'm on your side, kids, you know, kind of thing. Right. But, uh, yeah. 
But at the same time, I think he is, a, he is, they make him much more charming in this because, hey, Heather Locklear has to fall in love with him, right? So they have to do something to make Abigail Arcane find him. I guess it is obviously the tired tale of, of Beauty and the Beast, naturally. But I, he, he is, of course, like I said, very much a gentleman and everything else. And plus, Alec Holland, as we'd seen in the first film, was very much of a ladies' man. So I guess that has remained with him in this film. But yeah, I, I will give them kudos for the costume. I will say that. But uh, there were just moments where I was like, so he can also liquefy himself and go down into toilets and stuff? I mean, <laughs> they never really explained the power set, which I know, I know, it's, it's maybe I'm maybe being too nitpicky. But still... You don't really get what the guy's power sets are. And I understand you can't make it profound as having him like the protector of the green and all this kind of thing, which is one of the things I love about Swamp Thing is that he's very much a philosophical character because there's the green and there's, you know, the, the bad stuff going on in the swamp. And yeah, it was um, it was all over the place. But Dick Duroc, I think, as, as we often say on this podcast, did the best with what he was given. So, yeah. Yeah, let's let's then get to the lady who will eventually get super cozy with Swamp Thing. We have Heather Locklear as a Abigail Arcane. So, Devin, starting with you, what did you make of our Abigail? I thought the character actually was very interesting, honestly. And for this being one of her earlier movies, I feel like she just kind of ran with it and she just did the best with this role and um so considering that the movie wasn't going to make obviously a lot of money um but yeah no i i just feel like for this being one of her earlier movies i mean she kind of did what she could with this role and she just winged it and went with it and i feel like um kind of like with jennifer aniston when she was in like leprechaun mm. like i mean you know it's just Everybody's got to start somewhere. True. So, I mean, I feel like she did the best that she could with this character. I mean, did you did you buy as you know, we talked a little bit about the sex scene a little bit, but did you buy her relationship with uh, with Alec? Oh, absolutely not. No. Okay. <laughs> no, that no. Yeah, no, no. No, you know, absolutely not. No. I think that that was very corny and she's and I think that they were just trying to add that into into the film to, you know, maybe appeal to like, you know, a certain type of, you know, genre or, you know, people. Sure. And uh, and uh, Kelly, what did you make of our, you know, leading leading female leading female? Yeah. Look, Heather Locklear's always been a pretty girl. Yep. Um I don't think she's ever been Oscar material, no matter what she's played. <laughs> no. Um, and and it's not it's not a knock against her. I mean, it's just it, she came into movies in a time that you know there was a lot of camp, there was a lot of different stuff going on. I mean, they let Steven Seagal make movies back at this point in time. <laughs> so I mean, you know, so I'm just uh, it is what it is. I when you first introduced when they first introduce her in the very first of the movie, and she's talking to all of her plants, and she's rattling on and on. She gives that typical airheaded stereotypical vibe that you get in a lot of these like B movies. Um, uh, she's got that whole D to D kind of headspace going on there. And the gal that's sitting in her shop, that's watching her shop for, her, you know, she did a good job of being uninterested and dejected the whole time, which I thought was great because it just kind of added to that whole um, I'm talking to myself vibe. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I don't know, it just, there's, there's all of these things that you go down the laundry list of things that, you know, it's, it's a 1989 superhero film that, you know, is probably not going to go anywhere. And she like, you know, like, De like Devin said earlier, it's, she did the best that she could with what she had. And I get it. Um, but we are talking about Heather Locklear. She's not known for having the greatest roles on the planet either, even after this. And, you know, she was eye candy for the guys. Um, they, you know, she takes some kind of piece that Swamp Thing breaks off of him, hallucinates a whole entire, you know, um, montage of touchy feely time with, you know, the Swamp Thing as a human being. And then we go back to, you know, La La Land. And the other thing, too, is they kind of catered to, you know, the Swamp Thing's area where he quote unquote lived 
was very bright and very, you know, lots of flowers and just very, you know, it, it didn't feel like that's where Swamp Thing would hang out. But just saying, it's like, you know, um, it's like a biker walking into a yuppie bar. That's, that's what it felt like. To me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, it, it's just, I don't know. I just, her performance, it, 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 it's what I expected when I watched the movie, when I saw it for the first time, when I was younger, of course it's Heather Locklear and you're sitting there going, Oh, she's pretty. And that's all you thought about. Cause you're a teenage kid and you're looking at, you know, a movie. Um, and you know, you're young. That's, you know, but I rewatched it the other day and I'm just kind of like, okay, yes, she's still pretty, but there's just, there's not a whole lot there. So, no. um, it wasn't a whole lot to work with. I mean, if, if you even look at the script and follow the movie, it wasn't like the writers were trying super hard here. So, um, <laughs> it was, you know, she, she gave her stellar blonde headed performance and, and that's pretty much all you can ask for this one. Yes, I think it pretty much ticks all the boxes of the, uh, you know, the stereotype, stereotypical blonde bombshell with no brain, pretty much, which is very right. sad and, and very unfortunate because, you know, I know, of course, a lot of blonde headed ladies who are incredibly clever, incredibly, incredibly intelligent while being good looking at the same time. But, yeah, this was the trait. Obviously, this was the trope. And, uh, yeah, there were times when, like, Heather are you even acting because I it really did, it seemed like either she was reading her lines off a screen or there were moments when I did buy the character when she seems like a little bit creeped out by her uncle. And I also think to myself, why are you even going to, to visit your uncle if you think he's so creepy? Because... I know he just asked you to come over and you're like, okay, I'll go uh, and uh, I'll go see him uh, or her dad. Part no, her, it's her dad. It's her dad. Pardon me, her dad. Definitely, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's like, okay, your dad asked you to to come over and you feel he's a creep, but you're still going to go and visit him. Okay. Other than that, um, I I did like the fact that she did after coming across as being a little bit of an airhead, she does realize that something is going on in Arcane's mansion and that things are a little bit weird, especially when she gets her, her finger cut with the ring that he gives. So he's like, this was your mother's. I'll just cut your finger right, right open with it. And, uh, and after that, uh, it, it, she just kind of fizzles out because, okay, we, we get it that by the movie's end, she walks off into the sunset with Swamp Thing and apparently becomes a swamp thing herself i guess if the artwork is to be believed and in right. the comics this character is actually a really good and in-depth character heck in the tv show of swamp thing not the one that came out uh, you know shortly after this but the one that sadly was cancelled by the dc universe the character of abigail is a really really compelling one and it's really Absolutely. well done but this one, uh, I'm sorry, Heather Locklear, it just did not work for me. As beautiful as you might be, it just, uh, it just did not work. And there's very little substance to the character. It's very much that we need a beautiful female lead for our hero, kind of like what we got in the first Swamp Thing movies. It's exactly the same thing where... He, you know that in that situation she was like i want to stay with you he's like no don't stay with me you deserve to be happy in the real world or outside the swamp here you know swamp thing gets his happy ending with uh, with abigail arcane so i'm like okay i can buy that but nah the the acting didn't work for me at all so let's get to our two kids in this film we have daniel emery taylor as daryl and ronrico lee as omar who later went on to be in survivor's remorse so kelly as you touched up on these two characters what what are your thoughts on daryl and omar i i love the kids i i think the i think if they'd have they'd have played this out more as them trying to track down the swamp thing. It, it probably would have worked better. Um, mm -hmm. The kids were, I mean, these are, these are kids and they're acting in a movie and they take it very, I mean, they took it. I think they took it more seriously than most of the other people in the movie. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you get the first scene with the kids, you know, and they see swamp thing, you know, it's typical kid stuff. Hey, let's get into mom and dad's playboys. Let's, <laughs> you know, it's it's all this stuff and they're you know they're being kids the next thing you know this thing comes knocking at the door and trying to eat them and swamp thing shows up and they're cheering on swamp thing so i mean something a kid would do other than screaming and hollering you know and being frightened you know it's, it just it all works and i mean these kids are you know these these guys are young and it just the voice that the, the youngest 
uh, what's his name? Uh, the youngest one, the Daryl. Daryl, yes. He, uh, you know, he's always whining. He's always complaining. He's always eating. I mean, it just, he just, all that worked for me. I loved that whole part, you know, and seeing the kids on screen. It was just for me. They they were an integral part of the story because they just made my day seeing them in this movie. So, um, you know, getting their dad's camera and you know the whole, yeah, it just really made my day. It was it was really good. So so, so is I, this what is this what you would do, Kelly? When your parents are gone, you pull out the Playboy stash and you turn on MTV. So I would turn on I would go to my friend's house to watch MTV because we didn't have cable. Oh, my parents didn't keep anything like that in the house, so there was never any going and sneaking those kind of things. So, um, so yeah, uh, grew up in a pretty strict household. So you know, if I could get away with it, yeah, we would. Uh, there, we had a few friends. We'd pass the Playboys around every once in a while when I was a kid. So, um, just didn't want to get caught with them. So. I mean, I love the fact that MTV is such a big deal in this film. In the sense, like, our parents won't let us watch MTV. Boom, let's watch MTV. So I'm like, okay. Because while they're, because we see, I guess, MTV be playing in the background where, while they're going over these uh, naughty magazines, uh, as they call them. But, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was fun for sure. And, uh, Devin, what did you make of, of uh, Daryl and Omar? I absolutely find it funny and interesting and, and, made the film a little bit more enjoying as far as you know comic uh relief and um if anything to me it just kind of brings back you know memories of being a young kid you know and um mischief basically that you get into you know and i just thought that without these kids in the movie this film probably wouldn't be that interesting and i would have just slept through the entire thing so yeah they did a great job mm. I, I mean i think so too granted i did get some home alone vibes when it came to these two like for example the door yeah. swings wide open and the monsters and they, and they go ah you know with that that sort of wide open yell that you that was of course macaulay culkin was very was famously known for for doing that that yell and i was like oh are these like extras from Home Alone or are they extras from the Goonies? Because they almost have that Goonie vibe as well from those kind of films where, you know, you have like you like you were pointing out as well, Devin, these kind of mischievous kids who are maybe almost more adult like, if you will, when the parents are not around and, you know, all the shenanigans they get up to. So I was I almost felt like we would suddenly it was like Swamp Thing meets the Goonies kind of situation, because obviously yeah. you have this kind of almost very kind of in inverted commas, stereotypical kids. But I did like the dynamic between uh, between Omar and Daryl. And I will definitely hand it to especially Ronrico Lee, who does who does a great job as as the older kid, kind of like trying to almost mother hen Daryl, saying, you know, don't be such a, you know, such a weakling. Let's do this. Let's do that. And we can get tons of money if we take a photo of Swamp Thing and all this kind of thing. And I think this was very much the audience, as Kelly had pointed out, that this film was aimed at because these were the characters you were supposed to relate to i so i guess and even though i don't know if you could probably take your kids to see this film at the in the theater seeing a lot of the should we say sexual innuendos that i implied especially with two other characters which we will get to shortly but um yeah they they definitely they definitely added some a little bit of spunk to the film they made it a little bit more comedic even though it did make me groan here and there because i wasn't here to see a comedy i wanted to see swamp thing be awesome but not doing this you know it's it was yeah. incredibly I, I guess it's because maybe i'm not a particular fan of super cheesy movies and loving the comics of swamp things so much i don't know it seemed like a bit of a parody to me of what they were doing with the character but i i will i will definitely tip my hat to to both uh, daniel emery taylor and uh, ron rico lee for making their presence on the film incredibly enjoyable so let's get to two of our henchmen. We have Joey Segal as Gunn, what a great name, and Monique Gabrielle as Miss Poinsetter, who, folks, if you're wondering, was Penthouse Pet of the Month in 1982 and, no surprise, has appeared in numerous adult films. So starting with you, Devin, what did you make of our hired hands, if you will, Gunn and Miss Poinsetter? Well, I, again, I I feel like it's your your cheesy 
you know, villains that I, I don't know how else really to say. I mean, I feel like they weren't really paid a whole lot even to be in the film to begin <laughs> with. So I feel like at at this stage, it's kind of like you, you get what you're going to get from both of them in this film. Um, like they could have just paid them like 2000 each and like maybe some cheeseburgers and like some French fries possibly out of it. I don't know. But I don't really believe them as, as villains, no. Like, it was very, no. I couldn't get into that. Oh, I, I Totally fair. And, uh, and Kelly, what did you make of these two? I mean, let's, yeah. Um, they could have <laughs> not spoken the whole movie and it would have been the same. Um, I just, the whole creepy vibe that Gunn's trying to give off, it, it, it doesn't, I, it doesn't sell. Um, you know, Miss points that, uh, she's probably the smarter of the two until she talks. Um, and then, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, as far as hired henchmen go there, I, I feel like they're, you know, I, if you watch the old James Bond films, for instance, and you see the henchmen of the, the evil guy, you know, they're supposed to have a little bit of camp to them. These, it, they were just bumbling fools the whole movie. I mean, there was no. You know, I, I just, I don't know how to say it. I, they just, they added nothing. They didn't take anything away from the movie, but they didn't add anything to it either. I think the best scene that Gunn does is with the kids in the swamp where he, where he likes their apple. I think that's like the, the best scene he's in, period. And then the whole comparing Scar thing, you know, that they do <laughs> later on in the movie. You know, I'm just kind of like, okay, here we go. And it just... I was never so happy to see someone get blown up in my entire life. So <laughs> I, I just, it wasn't, I, I don't know. It, they just, to me, it was just a bumbling bunch of just, it reminded me of a Scooby-Doo cartoon. So <laughs> yeah. that's well, about what I got for that. Well, it's that's a great comparison. And to your point of that particular scene where they're comparing scars, I thought to myself, this is the setup for a soft porn film or a soft porn scene. Cause like, exactly. Oh, I've got this and I've got this. And they're kind of slowly stripping down. I'm like, I did not know about Monique Gabrielle until I read my research. I'm like, now I know why I felt that way because she literally acts as if she were in a porn movie, the way she yeah. reads her lines are like, yeah, you're just waiting for the moment where you get to, shall we say, the money, the money shot where you just take your clothes off and have sex. So I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm sure she was great in her adult films. I, if there was a, for any, obviously, if she was hired for those, she must evidently have been good for in those. So, uh, yeah, that was the, the the vibe I got when it came to. So I'm like, I thought to myself, am I watching one of those kind of five cent porn films where people that you've never seen are just getting it on for some weird reason and they just need this random dialogue to instigate the moment of sex and it was it was so bad it was just so bad because i, I and and i feel bad saying this but it's true when monique doesn't talk she's actually more threatening because when she reads her lines like i said it seems like she's literally reading off a screen and you don't get any sort of idea or should we say feeling from her because when she's just kind of you know staring you down you're like okay she can be menacing enough like that when she starts to talk especially with gun it gets really really bad and uh and joey seagal is not uh, is not that much better either because he barely feels threatening like a lot of villains in this film which i will get to of course when we get to our main villain because there's zero threat you don't feel afraid of these people like, oh, these guys mean business. They'll come into your house and they'll shoot you up and kill you and take your dog away. I didn't I did not get that that feeling at all compared to some of the characters we had in our previous film that we discussed. The Punisher, those guys were more threatening, even though they sat some of them sounded terrible. But these two, no, I was I just I just did not understand what the hell was going on and uh, why in the world we had certain scenes and why they were even in this film. I just don't get it. So let's get the rant aside. Let's get to our two main scientists. Let's see if it gets a little bit better with these two. We have Ace Mask as Dr. Rochelle and Sarah Douglas as Dr. Lena Zarell, who actually we had met as Ursa in the two Donna Superman films. So, Kelly, starting with you, what did you make of, of uh, Dr. Rochelle and Dr. Zarell? Um, 
<laughs> again, <laughs> I mean, they're kind of well. You got to remember, she goes on to play um, evil people in some seriously other. I mean, Conan the Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, she's in the Return of the Swamp thing. She's in Beastmaster Two. She's she's in a lot of things as an evil person, right? Yeah. Um, and she does a good job at that. I almost felt, you know, this movie was like maybe beneath um, her. But mm-hmm. at the same time, um, you know, she always plays a good bad guy. She was believable enough. The other doctor, I, he, I don't know. I was waiting for him to die um, just because <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, I can only stomach so much of that guy. Um, and um, he just, he was, you know, he was, to me, he was almost as bad as Gun. Just, they tried to make him intelligent, but he, he, he never really seemed intelligent. Like it, it never, it never played off as this guy was a doc. This guy was a doctor of any note or, you know, he, if he worked at a hospital, they probably fired him and that's why he got hired there. I don't know, but it just, yeah, he never was, I never was sold on him, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then she always plays a good, bad person. Of course, you got to deal with what you got to do with. And I didn't feel like she was as cardboard as, you know, everybody else in this movie, I felt like she put some effort into, um, you know, actually being the villain. Um, so to me, it was, you know, she, her performance was a lot better than his, um, both of them as far as brilliant scientists go. Yeah. Didn't do nothing for me there. So, Mm -hmm. and you have to, go ahead. I said, that's, that's pretty much as far as I can go with that one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and and you have to imagine Sarah Douglas being on, on 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 set thinking to herself, and I was in two highly successful Superman movies. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I think this is also a good point to do, to talk about since we're talking about the doctors, some of the creatures we get in this film. Because obviously Dr. Rochelle then turns into that weird thing which could be on a bad doctor who episode but uh when it actually came to the creatures kelly did you find them believable or did, they, did you just find them incredibly laughable well, i mean the first one we meet in the swamp that one was i think they put more effort into it because it's fighting swamp thing the others that were in the cages i think they just kind of slapped some whatever prosthetics they had laying around together and you know just kind of made these creatures in these cages the doctor, when he turns into the brainiac-looking kind of <laughs> whatever thing, um, it, it just, I don't know. That wasn't very believable to me because I was just sitting here thinking to myself, if you're a doctor, you're that highly intelligent, and then your brain grows to the size of you know a, a large watermelon, and you would think you'd be fighting with your head and not so much your, literally, you know, your headbutting swamp thing. I, I just thought he'd be using his mind instead of his head, but you know, whatever. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the creatures, like I said, they did a good job with the swamp thing, the creature he fights in the beginning, the other creatures. And, you know, they did okay with the doctor too, but I just, the other creatures that, that whole, and the blowing, the getting rid of the creatures, that whole scenario that the, the the electrocution slash deatomizing chamber, whatever the heck that thing was. <laughs> the giant microwave. <laughs> the giant microwave. Yeah, it just, you know, they get electrocuted for two straight minutes and then they go poof. And then you're like, okay. And so, you know, it is what it is. But <laughs> <laughs> It is. I, I will suggest, folks, if you do watch this film, don't watch it if you're do, doing hard drugs. Because if you watch some of these creatures, you're probably going to be like, whoa, what am I watching? Or, or maybe, and if you're having adult beverages, probably go easy on them because it can get rather trippy when it comes to some of these, the creatures that we do got on screen. Um, just, just, to, just to put it out there. But uh, Devin, what did you make of our two scientists? Okay. Um, I have no problem with her. Absolutely not. Because she is actually very, very talented in the characters that she's played. Um, him. No. Um, I could absolutely do without him in this movie. He did nothing for my interests. 
I found him incredibly boring. Um, and kind of like Kelly, we just said, like, I was just hoping that somebody would just show up and just kill him because it, it was that boring to me. Like it's to me, it's like nails on a chalkboard. It's just like, please go away. Like, why are you in this film? What's the point in this? Did they buy you a year supply of Subway or something? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, and the remarks on the creatures and stuff, like, I feel like they may have just hired a bunch of film students from, like, a local community college or something to, like, work on that, you know? I don't feel like they actually went out and bought, like, you know, actual props and things like that. I feel like these kids probably just showed up with stuff and said, here, work with this. <laughs> like, I don't feel like they actually had any plans. Um, but I would give it like a C minus for, for effort though. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause I guess you have to think that maybe obviously the budget was incredibly limited because, you know, if we look at it in these days, six, if you're doing a movie and you have your budget is $6 million, you're not going to go particularly far if you want to do special effects with six, with, right. with a budget of 6 million, because obviously, as we know, you're going to need a little bit more than that. As much as $6 million is a lot of money, but uh, for a movie, not really. But uh, yeah, I'm right there with you both. I I love uh, Sarah Douglas as Ursa in obviously the Donna films, which are, you know, there's, it, I'm stating the obvious here, which are of course way better than this. But uh, yeah, and that's why I was kind of shaking my head going, Sarah, what made you do this? Was it a slow day at the office? Did you have to take this job? Because you are better than this girl. You can do way better. And I don't know, unless maybe she knew uh, Winorski, the director, or some of her buddies who were working on this film. Like, yeah, come on, it's going to be fun, you know? So I don't know. But uh, she really brings, she really does her best to make, she makes the best of a bad situation because the, the fact that she is madly in love with Anton Arcane and is so dedicated to him, even though she knows he's going to probably kill her or experiment on her because that was the the his plan but uh, then obviously when he murders her he literally shoots her she plays it well it's believable and also her love for anton is believable as much as anybody could possibly love such an evil man but uh, yeah i i definitely i definitely bought the character and uh, also the fact that she seemed to have at first almost an adversarial relationship with abigail even though she is anton's daughter at first, she's like, oh, who are you? You know, we don't need another woman in the house. I'm the, this, this, this guy's main, main girl. Who the heck are you? So she seems a little bit adversarial, but she hides it very well. She's like, oh, come in, my dear. You know, we'll make you comfortable. And while we're at it, let's take some blood samples and all this stuff, which we do with our guests. So uh, I, I, did, I did very much buy the character. And as I said, Sarah, Sarah's a fabulous, fabulous actress. When it came to Ace Mask... I don't know how long this guy actually did work, get much work in, in Hollywood or movies in general because I don't really remember him from anything else. And yeah, the whole thing of, you know, I guess the, the, the doctor con with, the, with the little, should we say, with the little respirator and stuff and kind of being incredibly nervous. We've seen that a lot in films and, and the fact that he's obviously terrified of his boss and wants to do the best he can and is just just sort of so constantly worried and very much the neurotic kind of scientist. I get it, and and once again, I think Ace does his best. But yeah, I could have done without him. And just the creature he turns into when the door kind of bursts and in come, comes this weird thing. I'm like, what the hell is that? I didn't know what was going on, and it just it just made zero sense to me. I just did not buy it. And as I said, I'm a huge fan of Doctor Who, so I've learned to forgive bad special effects, bad costumes. But here, it was just unforgivable. I just thought to myself, what am I watching? What is going on? It was just a mess. That's what it is. It was just one big mess. And I was just waiting for it to be over. And in fact, in my mind, while I was watching, it was like, please be over soon. Please be over soon. Because it was just painful, just painful to watch. So let's get to our main villain, Reprising his role as Anton Arcane, we have Louis Jourdain. So, Devin, starting with you, what did you make of our big bad? Well, I mean, uh, again, I feel like, you know, 
based on his previous experience, I mean, he kind of helped the film get a little bit better as time went on. Um, but at the same time, I also feel like maybe he didn't put a whole lot of effort into um, some of his lines during this movie. Because um, I noticed, like, in certain scenes, it's almost like he almost forgets his lines. Mm-hmm. And, like, they may have had to go back several times to re-edit a bunch of things. Um, like, I feel like he looks at the... In, into the camera way too much. Um, almost if it's really comical at times. Um, and I don't know if he meant to do that or if that was just something that maybe, you know, they told him to do. I don't know. But I don't think it really works for him. And I'm, and I don't think that uh, it was planned. So, but that's just kind of how I feel about him. Well, that, that that's totally fair. And once again, you know, an actor who has been in Best Picture movies, but uh, I will enlarge upon that later. But uh, Kelly, what did you make of, of Anton Arcane? I thought we were getting a bad episode of Fantasy Island. <laughs> so I kept waiting for someone to yell, the plane, the plane. But um, uh, it's not one of his best performances ever. Um. The other thing is he could really work on, and granted this set design, he could really work on his secret doors a little better. Um, <laughs> but um, I just, I, you know, I think a lot of these guys, I think maybe they were un- under contractual obligation to the studios to produce another movie or to do something else. And I feel like that, that you know, um, that, uh, you know, okay, we got, we got, a, I, th- I think a lot of these guys just phone this in. Let's just be honest. He did add to the movie. He didn't take away from it. He was a decent villain, at least. It wasn't like, you know, he wasn't the bumbling doctor. He wasn't the, you know, as as uh, as ignorant as the hired help, you know, the, those kind of things. And I think he, I think they could have done something a lot better with him in this than they did. But I mean, again, you work with what you're given, and what they were given was a B script on a B movie um, with little to nothing to work with. So, I mean, you know, half a dozen, one six to the other. So, you know, you, you, you deal with this. If you compare this to the, even the, the, the TV show that just recently got canceled, um, you know, the guy that plays big, bad, Matt. I mean, we're, we're light years apart, you know, as far as, you know, what that, what that translates to on the screen. So, but, you know, I just, I think he had moments, um, that were, outstanding and then there were moments that i think he again he was just he had just phoned it in and said okay i'm gonna get this over with um (laughs) and you know i mean the ending i mean you're watching him he's fixing to burn to death and the look on his face is just like eh okay it's over and so i'm just like okay it is what it is so i you know the the scene between him and the other doctor in in the in the laboratory there where she gets shot. Um, that was probably a good performance between the two of them. And, um, there was another good performance between the two of them earlier where they're having a conversation, you know, before the bumbling doctor comes in. Um, and so I, there were parts and pieces of this that, yeah, could have been good. Um, I just, you know, again, I feel like the, the, uh, the phone it in kind of outweighs the, I'm going to act this out and really do something with it kind of scenario so it, yeah, yeah again it's a b movie i don't know what people expect from it other than to be a b movie and it's you know it hey <laughs> you know it is what it is i guess the studios liked it enough to make a tv show because what what made me the, the thing that definitely it made me think about when i watched this was this seems like an hour and a half long pilot to the yes. uh, to the TV show because the way it was shot, not to mention when we cut from one scene to another where you literally go to black where the scene seems to flip, that is very TV of the 80s. You know, you mentioned yes. also the Batman from the 60s. That's the kind of thing you would have. Either you'd have the little nah, 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 thing going on or you'd have right. the scene seem like almost it was flipping over. And... Granted, you know, our director, 
did did of course work in a lot of B movies and and TV as well. I have a feeling he they were maybe hoping more of like if this does badly at the theaters, we might be able to get a TV show out of it because you know with the budget and stuff we might be able to do that. And that's what I think might have been the ultimate goal was if studios like it well enough, we might be able to make a TV show and they did. And that's what it kind of felt like because the way we see Anton Arcane not die. And so it like, I'll get you next time. Swamp thing kind of thing. It was almost like, right. this is going to be a TV show, but what really angered me. And I understand you know, these days, everything is kind of canon carrying over from one film to another is how the hell was he still human? Because in the first film, for those who've watched it, he becomes a weird werewolf kind of character and is ostensibly right. killed by Swamp Thing in the swamp with a sword. And when I saw him, I was like, wait a minute. How the hell are you still alive? Are they going to explain it? No, of course they're not. But uh, I was like, okay. I, it, just, it just made me laugh because I was hoping. They did kind of semi-explain it. The fact that the, the aging process. The aging and that they had brought him, she made a comment that she, they had brought him back to life or something to that effect, et cetera, et cetera. It was a blip in the movie. It didn't really explain anything, but I remember the first one, yeah. unfortunately, and then <laughs> the second one. Um, I was kind of like, okay, I, I kind of get it, but they don't. Re- you're right. They don't really expound on it a bunch, but yeah. Yeah, because, um, you know, he's back in his Playboy mansion, obviously, with incredibly beautiful women who are all his, you know, his hired help, just like he was in the first film. And as I said, I was just like, OK, I get it's a B movie. So obviously they're not going to explain anything because who cares? <laughs> you know, so I I just kind of kind of had to chuckle when I saw that. But yeah, what made me laugh the most is the digs they take at Louis Jordan in this film, because his his parrot is named Gigi. And in fact, the most famous film he's known for is Gigi, which won Best Picture, mind you. And that's once again why I think to myself, <clears throat> was Louis Jourdain just not getting any work? Because he went from Best Picture films to this. And also they rub it in his face by having the parrot called Gigi. I mean, he was probably obviously cool with it because if not, he wouldn't have been on the movie. And I got the joke like, oh, yeah, remember that movie Gigi? This guy was on that film and now we've got him for a much lower budget. But uh, yeah, I, I guess he was he was just out of work and he's like, OK, I'll do this film again. I'll play Anton Arcane. But uh, I, I, I just felt so bad for him seeing what he what Louis is capable of. But uh, yeah, I guess I guess those are the breaks. And that's why I felt this was very much a pilot. I think, oh, yeah, it's a pilot. It's a it's a pilot to the to the, the TV show. And I actually went on to watch some episodes, which aren't bad because you consider it TV. It's like, OK, it's on par with the Incredible Hulk TV show and the stuff that was being put out at the time. So, yeah, it's cool. But oh my, Anton Arcane, just a not threatening villain. I didn't feel terrified. I was like, oh, you know, oh my, this guy's terrible. He's going to mess with everybody and rule the world. I just, it, I just don't buy this character at all. And you were mentioning, Kelly, you can do good things with Swamp Thing. Like the, like the aforementioned TV show, which was canceled. It got canceled because to make a good Swamp Thing property, you have to spend a lot of money. And that's yes. exactly what happened with the DC Universe show. They overspent and sadly it came to an end. That said, let's then get to ratings then, folks. Uh, Kelly, what do you give this film out of 10? Um, two and a half psychedelic swamp thing parts. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. And, and Devin, how about you? I'm going to give it a solid three. I I feel like um, that is being polite and reasonable. Um, <laughs> but by no means do I want to watch this again anytime soon. And you have watched it five times already. So kudos to you. Yep. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually on with Devin on this one. I'm also going to give it three out of ten because... Lord, is this film bad? And I don't know if I would ever be uh, prepared to watch it again because once was enough. And uh, unless somebody, I, I meet somebody who's like a hardcore Swamp Thing fan, I probably wouldn't show them that either because 
They'd be like, this is really destroying, this is messing with my universe, as Kelly would say. So uh, I definitely would not show him, <laughs> I would not show him this movie. But yeah, it's it's really one of those really, really B-movie films where it's like, okay, you don't want to watch anything highbrow, you don't want to watch anything particularly well-produced, watch The Return of Swamp Thing. You'll probably have a, a good time, but yeah, it's a three out of ten for me. So I know this is probably an odd question to ask, but... Uh, Recommendations-wise, Devin, does, was there anything you'd like to recommend for those who might have liked this movie? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I I would just say watch the TV series and the first movie and uh, go back and read the comic book series and collect some of the toys and stuff. There were some pretty cool toys that they had developed, actually, for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, yeah, it... it that's just the hardcore fans. And I believe there was even a computer game. So. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'll definitely have to check out the computer game just, uh, just for the heck of it. And, uh, um, Kelly would, was there anything you wanted to recommend swamp thing wise? I mean, watch the new DC series, even though it got canceled. I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, a swamp thing fan, that's probably the best, um, actual, um, I think you watch it on HBO Max now. I think mm-hmm. it's probably one of the best done versions of this particular property as far as, you know, actual, you know, film or TV goes. Um, if you're really wanting to check out Swamp Thing, I would recommend Alan Moore's Saga of the Swamp Thing. Um, I believe it's a seven or eight book series that he does. Um, it's a really good uh, read if you want to get into Swamp Thing pretty quick. Um, if you really want to go back, you can go to 1971. His first appearance was in, uh, I can't remember the, the actual comic. It wasn't Swamp Thing at that time. Um, but that's Swamp Thing's first appearance. Um, and in the iterations of Swamp Thing, what makes it interesting about, um, this particular character is it does carry on like a lot of our characters that we have, you know, we get different iterations of different universes, but the Swamp Thing, you know, he is a different person every so many years anyway. And, um, and he's chosen. So, you know, there's certain criteria it has to meet. And if you read the comics, you can, you know, you can fill in all those blanks and things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, one of the things I think that that's been hard for, for this particular property is Swamp Thing doesn't translate well onto film. I think he could be done really well right now. Um, because we've seen what they can do now. So I think it could be done really well right now. And I wish somebody would pick it up and run with it, but um, it's one of those odd properties, you know, that uh, it's kind of like Dr. Strange in the Marvel universe. Everybody's kind of wondering how we're going to do Dr. Strange in the Marvel universe. Cause again, Swamp Thing is one of those things that came out during, you know, the psychedelic era of comic books and, you know, let's get into the spiritual part of this thing. And so, yeah, um, go read the saga of the Swamp Thing and, and, you know, if you're really, really interested after that, then go back and start at the beginning. Very well said. And yes, I, I had recommended this in when we first reviewed the first Swamp Thing film. But to, as Kelly was saying, definitely check out uh, House of Secrets 92, issue 92, which is, of course, the debut of Swamp Thing, which is more of a horror um, comic, if you will, where Swamp Thing is literally considered a monster. But uh, but it's definitely a great, great story. And yeah, I'm right there with uh, with you, Kelly, when you mentioned the Alan Moore uh, saga of the Swamp Thing, because that is probably the best we've ever had when it comes to Swamp Thing on the printed page. And yeah, I'm hoping someday somebody will pick this up and say, let's make a good movie with this character because you can do it. Now you have the special effects. Now you have the budget. You can really do something great with this, just like they did with the the, the aforementioned uh, DC Universe TV show, which sadly, of course, cost a little bit too much. I, I think apparently most of the money, funny enough, I think what cost the most was the location. I believe they filmed in North Carolina, I think it was, which is, uh, of course, one of the, among the places known for its swamps. And... Uh, Apparently that location just cost them a bomb and that's where most of the money went. Aside from the beautiful special effects and everything else in that show, which I loved and I was gutted 
when it was cancelled. But yeah, I think those those are definitely the best ones to go for. So, dear listeners, if you want to, of course, be like uh, Kelly and Devin and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. We also appreciate your thoughts and feedback. You can also send that to us at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. Or follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast and feeling generous, check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. There you'll be able to pick films that go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies or even films inspired by comics like Road to Perdition or Death Note or I Kill Giants or even films which inspired comics such as The Aliens Saga, Terminator, Robocop and more. Check all that out. Head on over to patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. So Kelly, when it comes to you, when you're not here discussing good or bad superhero movies, where can folks (laughs) find you? Um, you guys can find me on Facebook for the most part. Um, you can find me at the band something like yesterday. You can find me, um, on my, uh, Facebook podcast veterans forum. Um, we haven't been live in a while over there, but we're getting back into the swing of things here pretty soon. So, um, going to have some pretty interesting shows. So if you want to tune in for those, we do those every Saturday from 11 to one, um, once they're started back up again. So, um, and that's mountain time here in the United States. So, um, yeah. Um, you can find me on all those places. You can find my professional page on Facebook. Um, and you can find my music out there on Reverb Mason if you want to go check that out. So Fabulous. And uh, Devin, where can folks find you? Okay, I actually came prepared. I listed everything <laughs> right in front of me on a piece of paper so I don't forget anything. So, um, 502 Fallen Angel Radio, I do co-hosting on the morning shows, interviews, um, and... My YouTube accounts are Drizzleland. That's my old one, which has all my old stuff on there. Um, Devin Drizzle Smith is my new one, which I just set up, back, which is going to be my music and other stuff. Um, and then my Rap Fame account with all my music on there is Devin Smith three one seven seven. I've got fifty eight songs right now. Um, my Instagram is Devin, Smith, Devin forward slash Smith 1982. And I'm not quite sure what my Skype account actually is, what my screen name is. I, I was wondering if you could uh, do that for me because I have no clue what it is. I just have you as Devin Smith, actually, funnily enough. Okay. Well, maybe that's what it is then. Good. Yes. <laughs> okay. So well. I'm... I, I'm very busy and I keep I keep up to date on emails. I would love to hear from people, you know, shoot me an email. And let's just talk. Sounds great. Well, folks, definitely be sure to check out the wonderful things that both Kelly and Devin have going on because they are definitely worth your time. When it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I do host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more about that and where to tune in, visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, we really also check out our other podcast, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend are reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. Also, superhero TV shows are your speed. Myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone podcast, where we're currently discussing while we wait for Moon Knight to drop. We're currently discussing the latest season of Superman and Lois. And if Titans or Doom Patrol are your speed, we also discuss those on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we discussed, of course, the latest seasons of both Titans and Doom Patrol and got to talk to some of the great folks who work on the Doom Patrol TV show. And speaking of things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 2003 Paul Hunter film, Bulletproof Monk. So that should be an interesting one. That said, when it comes to you, Kelly, and to you, Devin, I definitely look forward to having you back here soon on Happiness and Darkness. I want to both thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you yeah. for having us. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you were talking about uh, the new Superman TV show. You guys were reviewing that. Mm-hmm. Both, Superman and uh, Lois, yeah. Right, yeah. I'm a fan of that, actually. Is that something that I could do with you guys eventually? I could definitely ask Charles and see if we can get you on. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Awesome. I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely talk to him and see what we can do. Well, that said, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Bulletproof Monk. Until then, stay super. Ciao.
my people.